maybe a big special gift this morning. <laughs> um, we love Brother Jesse Roberts so much. You've heard me. I won't take his time to spend 15 minutes telling you all how much we love Brother Jesse. But he is a part of us here at McClenny Church. He is ours, and we claim him and will as long as he, and after. Uh, he's gone on, he and I. Um, special, special gift to this church over the course of the years. Please pray for our dear brother, Elder Jesse Roberts. Thankful to be here today. Certainly an unusual time to be here. I had uh, Thursday night talked with one of the deacons at uh, our church and said, I, I really I really think probably we ought to call off church meeting this Sunday for a couple of reasons. One, we haven't talked with the uh, members of the church about how they ought to behave themselves yet. And I'd like to have that church get a good cleaning uh, before we meet again. And they're going to have a visiting minister come down. And he lives up in LJ, Georgia, and he calls on businesses for a living. And when I was a teacher, you could have a classroom that had 25 people in it, and you could introduce a new person from out of town in that area, and the next week there'd be five people sick. Okay? I saw that. And I said, he comes down there, and uh, you know, with 75% or more over 60 years old, we don't know what his situation is. We kind of know who we're hanging around with, but we really don't know either. Uh, not sure that we ought to take the... Uh, the uh, risk that's associated with that. I don't have any problem with the bumping. Uh, it's, uh, that's something God's given us the, the good uh, understanding to know that there are things that we're supposed to do. Even the Lord Jesus Christ told Satan that thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God in one of the temptations that he received. And God's given us understanding and he's given us people that uh, can help us kind of work through some of those things. And while I, I hate not being able to hug your neck, and shake your hand. What I'd hate worse is for me to take something back to one of my congregation and them die as a result of that. I love my congregation that much, even though I love you so very much. Last year in February, the, uh, I ended up getting the flu. I'd never had the flu before. Uh, always had a flu shot, uh, never had, had a problem with it. I was taking care of Susan. It was uh, in the late February, early March situation. Uh, I can't remember now, I believe it was the second week in March. She was getting ready to have surgery on her ankle. And all of a sudden I got up one morning, my temperature was 102. I decided I, after she told me I'd better stay home from work and went to the doctor and sure enough, it was the flu. And they gave me the Tamiflu and within 24 hours, my temperature was back down to normal. So this is Thursday coming up. And I've told this at West Jacksonville, so Ashley and Jessica have already heard it. Uh, and so I, I, I told them at work, I said, they, they said, well, my temperature got back normal. I go back to work. And they say, you stay home. Stay home for three days. And then, then you're to weekend. Then we'll see you on Monday. Uh, then uh, the deacon that I was talking to on Friday called me, and he said, don't take this wrong way, but I don't want to see you at church on Sunday. <laughs> okay. 
So I had to scramble around and get somebody to fill in for me. That was the only time I've ever missed because of sickness uh, at uh, Flatshelf Church. So when I was talking to him on Friday, I was waiting to hear what he was going to say because it had better be the right answer. If he didn't say, okay, we'll call off church on Sunday, I'd ask him, why'd you tell me I couldn't come to church last year? <laughs> uh, it, it is serious, and I know who holds all things. And I'm not, I'm not uh, brethren, I'm not concerned in, in a sense, especially for myself, because I'm ready to go to the Lord anytime. And, but at the same time, the Lord also has told us and warned us about things. Tell, tell me if he didn't tell the, the believers there in Judea, when you see the eagles gathering in, you flee the city. Didn't he tell them that? Why did he tell them that? Because he, he wanted them to be safe and he wanted them to understand that their, that their safety and their deliverance was going to come from another way. Not, not, not from him. It was coming from him. But in another way than what they were expecting it to come. And you've seen it happen so many times in your life, you know. So I, I'll get off my soapbox about that now and we'll, uh, we'll talk about some other things. Uh, today I want to speak about my uh, experiences. So this is going to be what we used to call an experience sermon when I was uh, growing up. Usually it was an older minister that would come and talk about his experiences. Uh, also I want to tell you that I've been running, my nose has been running since January, ever since spring started in Georgia. And I'm pretty sure it'll run until November. Uh, so it, it, it's not that. It, it really is all, all the other stuff that's going on. But anyway, uh, but I, I was, uh, I was, I would hear those sermons preached, and it really was kind of interesting because you didn't go through a lot of scripture. What they did is they went through and talked about the way the Lord led them, and that's kind of what the subject of my my sermon is today is the way the Lord has led me. And I stole that title from D.P. Bridgman. He wrote a song, uh, God Has Been My Refuge Daily. It's 198 in the uh, old school hymnal 10 and 11. I have no clue what it is in 12. Uh, it's in there, but I don't know the number. Uh, and actually, as I considered talking about this, there were two things that came to mind. One of them is that many of you don't know much about my life experiences. I pretty well kept a lot of those things pretty close to home. Uh, Susan knew some of them, uh, maybe not all of them. The kids, uh, some of the things I'm going to say today, the kids have, have no clue. They, they've, we were going through them, but they never heard about them because it just wasn't something that I felt was necessary to discuss with them. The other thing is I'm now an older minister. I don't know anybody that's in the ministry right now that's 126 years old. So that qualifies me as being an older minister. And as a result of that, uh, I, I have the opportunity, I think, to tell you a little bit about some of the experiences that I've had. I was baptized. Uh, I'm gonna hit, I, I can't tell you all the experiences I've had. It's like all my life. But uh, I was baptized. I'll hit you about four or five, and that's about it. And I may not even be able to hit all of them. I was baptized on July 8, 1962 at Hardman Primitive Baptist Church by Elder Rufus Brantley. I strangled during the baptism. 
because Brother Rufus said, kind of hold your breath when you go under the water. Well, you know how literal I am about everything. Well, he didn't say hold your breath. He said, kind of hold your breath. So I kind of held my breath, and I got a little bit of water in my, in my lungs, and when he pulled me up, I was coughing. Uh, I think he was much more specific with me after that. I think he kind of realized what it kind of realized what had happened there. Uh, I've been a member of six different churches. The longest is Flat Shoals Church. I've been a member there now for 17 years. The second longest is McClenny Church. I've been a, I was a member of McClenny Church for 13 years. The third longest was Ozias Church, uh, also 13 years, a little bit shorter than the, the, the time that I was at McClenny. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about an experience with Susan, uh, and it was one that was uh, very early in our relationship. I'm talking about the Lord being with us. That's, yeah. that's what I'm talking about, the Lord being yeah. with us. Yeah. Uh, I started going steady with Susan in January 1974. She couldn't date me because she was too young. She had turned 15 in December of 73, and uh, so her father wasn't gonna let her date until she was 16. Uh, in February, this is January 74, in February, I gave her a pre-engagement ring. Uh, you've heard of the, the way of a man with a maid. Uh, I was staking out my territory. I want people to know that I was planning on marrying her, and she, she, was, she was mine. Uh, and I didn't want anybody else even thinking about anything else about her. She was mine. Her dad wasn't happy about that. And he'd known me all my life, and that may have been part of the reason he wasn't happy. I don't know. But uh, he, he, I, he said I was too old for her. And then he didn't appreciate when I pointed out to him that the difference between his age and her mother's age was greater than the difference between my, my age and Susan's age. And he said, well, it was different. And the only reason it was different was because it was him and her mother and and not me and Susan. It wasn't his daughter, you see, that was the situation. In May, she broke up with me. So after I'd staked all this out, everything was going along pretty well. I thought, well, you know, everything going good. We know, we know exactly where we're headed here. Uh, she broke up with me. And after a few weeks, a fellow by the name of Mike Latimer, Mike's been down here before. He's passed away now, but he was down here uh, back several years ago with uh, Jim Latimer, his brother in service here with us. Uh, he was a friend of mine, and he started trying to fix me up with somebody. I started dating Kathy Chappell. Uh, that, I won't name names here, by the way. I started dating Kathy Chappell. Kathy actually later became Mike's wife. Uh, <laughs> he was dating somebody else at the time. She was her friend, okay. Uh, on June 22nd, 1974, Kathy called me. It was a Saturday before the fourth Sunday in June. Kathy called me and told me she and a friend, his girlfriend, Mike's girlfriend, were going to uh, attend Ball Rock Church for service that evening, conference service that evening, and asked if I would join them there, and I agreed to do that. And I lay down for a little while, took a nap, and while I was sleeping, a fellow by the name of Mike Mitchell, he's also been down here in service, uh, came by and uh, knocked on the door and waked me up. And if he hadn't knocked on the door and awakened me, I probably would have slept through that and I wouldn't have been able to go to Bald Rock Church that night. And he asked me if I wanted to go to Camp Creek, which was about two miles from Mom and Dad's house uh, that night, because they were having services that night also, and uh, with Jessica Brooks. And I said, well, I'm planning on going to Bald Rock. 
if Mike had not awakened me, I would have slept too long. So I left for Bald Rock, and a bumblebee hit me on my left arm. I had a 72 Ford Pinto. Of course, it didn't have air conditioning. I had the window roll down. It's in the summer. Got my arm out here like this. Bee hits arm. Hits down on my shirt, and it starts trying to crawl up inside my shirt. And I swat at it, and I miss it, you know, under panic there. Swat at it again, missed it again. Finally, swatted at it third time. It hit the floor. I looked up, and I don't see a road anywhere. Uh, headed down a steep hill. Car turned up over on its side. I uh, hit my, uh, because I didn't like shoulder straps, I hit my lip and chin on the horn button of that car and tore, tore lip, in fact the scar's still there, tore lip all to pieces and cut right here. Uh, because it landed on its side, I crawled up over the top of the car, apparently, dead followed the blood trail, over the top of the car and uh, climbed out the right side of the car, jumped down on the ground and as, as uh, it would happen, I uh, actually sprained my ankle when I hit the ground. Got up and ran up to the top of the hill and as it just so happened, there was a fellow, notice I've said it just so happened twice or three times now. Every time you hear it just so happened, understand it came to pass. It's just that everybody says it just so happened and the reason they do is because they really don't understand that it came to pass. So I'm, I'm using that uh, in, a, in a sarcastic perhaps kind of way. Uh, somebody was coming by at the time when I got to the road. I was so out of it at that time that I could have stepped out in that road, would have known it. Uh, he stopped, picked me up, carried me to the hospital. He was on his way to the store. Just happened to be on his way to the store. Carried me up to the hospital in Lawrenceville. I was down below Snell at that time. Long trip for him to go. And got up there and uh, the doctor who was on call sewed up my lip. And he said, uh, while he was sewing up my lip, they, of course they x-rayed my head, my back, everything. Uh, he, while I was sewing it, he was talking to me. He said, there's a piece of your lip I can't find. I said, I probably swallowed it. I don't know. Uh, he said, I'm doing the best I can with it. I said, that's fine. Go ahead. Uh, I had to wait for Dad and Mom to get home because they'd gone over to Ebenezer because Ebenezer had service that night, too, before I could actually get in touch with them that come pick me up at the hospital. The next day, Susan uh, came to see me at home, and uh, she said she wanted to get back together with me so that she could marry me before I killed myself. <laughs> At the time, I thought I understood that, and then a few years later, I realized that if, if she hadn't married me before I killed myself, she wouldn't have gotten the insurance money, so I'm pretty sure <laughs> I had, had something to do with insurance. Uh, you know, was it God who moved on Kathy to call me? So I'd go toward Bald Rock. Was it God that moved on Mike to wake me up so I wouldn't miss the bumblebee? Was it God that moved on the man to show up just as I was topping the hill and take me to the hospital? What I do know is God was determined that I was going to marry Susan even if it killed me. Yeah. Uh, we moved uh, our membership to Ebenezer Church in 1984. We were members at Ozias. We moved our membership uh, there in 1984. Uh, where Marty Smith was pastor. Uh, and, and the reason that we moved our membership there is because Ozias Church split. And when Ozias Church split, and, I, and I'm just going to tell you, this is, this is the way it was. Ozias Church split. 
uh, and and when it split, we were we happened to be on a side that was in the majority of the church. My dad uh, was buried on the fourth Sunday in October of 1987, and that evening, I, uh, Susan and I went up to stay with my mom instead of going to church service at at uh, Ozai's. And that night, the majority of the church there at Ozai's asked for letters of membership to leave that church. And uh, as a result of that, uh, when I heard that, I told Susan, we have a problem because we may lose our church life if we're not careful and we don't move quickly enough. And we, we did move to Ebenezer Church uh, the following week. I asked Ozias for a letter for Susan and me to go to Ebenezer Church, and they uh, granted us a letter. There were, at the time, 11 people who had been in the majority of the church that were still left there at Ozias Church. We were the last two to get a letter. Uh, Five were excluded when they requested letters, and the other four were later excluded for non-attendance. Uh, we were the last two to get a letter there. God, the criticality of the time, timing of that was so important, it was God impressing on me, I know at the time, that I should have left. I'm not, I'm not uh, casting any reflection on, on the situation there, I'm just telling you that that's what it was. And we ended up at Ebenezer, Marty Smith was the pastor there, and Susan flourished under his ministry. It was just amazing. He was the pastor there for only, only till early 87. But I just, I just rejoiced in seeing the, uh, the way in which she responded to his ministry. In 1987, we, and when I left there to go up to, to Ebenezer, I want you to know, I felt like Ebenezer was just a safe haven for me because I already decided in my mind, I felt like that the Atlanta area was not where we needed to be long-term with our children. Uh, we needed to be somewhere else. I just didn't know where it was. I was waiting for God. I kept asking God, where is it? You know, where are you going to send me? Where are you going to send me? And couldn't, uh, couldn't figure out where it was. He, just, he hadn't opened the door for us to see. 1987, things happened in the Atlanta area that made me realize we needed to move immediately to another area just as quickly as we could. Uh, I really saw no door open, so I impatiently waited for God. It seemed like it took two years. It actually took two months. My, uh, I was working at SunTrust at the time. My manager, the SunTrust CFO, had recently come from Orlando to Atlanta. He gave me my annual review, then asked uh, what I wanted to do when I grew up. That's what you, know, what you always do. And I told him I wanted to be a bank controller, but there was no possibility of being a bank controller anywhere in the state of Georgia because all the state of Georgia bank controllers were young. They were 40 years old. And I'd have to wait for them to retire. They wouldn't hire me because I'd be too old. Uh, and I had seen that there was a job in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And he said I wouldn't fit in well in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, kinda, I kind of hear a door closing there. He said something about uh, there's another place, there's an opening, it's in Jacksonville. And I said, I haven't seen that. And he said, well, the controller's not going to make it. He's got cancer and he's not going to make it. And it's, it hasn't been posted yet, but he said they're interviewing. And he said, I know the CEO and I'll give him a call and uh, see if he'll call you back. Uh, that was on Friday. 
Uh, and he said, you, you, you like Jacksonville better anyway. It's South Georgia. It's not Yankee town. <laughs> said, They're not a bunch of Yankees there. And I said, okay. Uh, he knew me a lot better than I knew myself, I think. I don't know. But uh, on Monday morning, CEO called me. And we set up a, uh, uh, we had a 30-minute phone conversation. We set up an appointment, interview on June 12, 1987. That was the Friday before the second Sunday in July. It also happened to be mine and Susan's uh, 11th anniversary. And it was at 10 o'clock. Interview went well. I told Susan that the church situation had to be right also or I wasn't going to take the job. Because I, I, I knew this was, uh, I just knew this was not opening the door. It just so happened that my brother-in-law's brother-in-law's brother lived in North Jacksonville. And he was a member of, his name's Roger Wayne Kaysen. He was a member of a progressive Primitive Baptist church in uh, uh, Jacksonville, where it just so happened that Elder Herman Jordan's daughter attended. If y'all don't know Elder Herman Jordan, he used to serve uh, Zion's Rest Church, so it was church in Jacksonville. They invited us to our home. In fact, we, their home, we'd already called them, said we're coming down and uh, we want to visit with you, we want to talk with you a little bit about Prince Baptist churches down there. And uh, they said, okay. And so they invited us to their home. While we were there, they mentioned that Zion's Rest had church on Saturday. Uh, they had a Saturday morning service there uh, in their uh, conference. And uh, so I said, okay, well, we'll, we'll go over to Zion's Rest Church. We'll go there. Uh, next morning, got the kids up, dressed, went over there and, and went to service. And it was, it was a really good service. Really enjoyed it. Got to meet Sister Pensy Jordan. I'll tell you, if it hadn't been, if that had been the only thing I'd seen that day, it wasn't. But if that had been the only thing I'd seen that day is meet Sister Pensy Jordan, it would have been well worth the trip. Um, there were others. There were others. Few, few are still alive. Uh, while there, I picked up North Florida Fellowship Minute. And took back to the hotel, and while I was there, I determined there were two churches in North Florida Fellowship Group that met. You, you want to know what it, you know? You want to know what it means to meet every Sunday if you're if you're a Primitive Baptist church. Yeah. I want to tell you this story. There were two churches in North Florida Fellowship Group that met every Sunday. One of them was Sharon Primitive Baptist Church, which no longer exists. It's merged into West Jacksonville Primitive Baptist Church, including the constitution of that. And the other one was McClinney Primitive Baptist Church. Now, McClinney was meeting on the second and fourth Sunday and the first and third Sunday nights. Sheridan was meeting on the first, second, third, and fourth Sunday. But it just so happened that the pastor was not at Sheridan Church on the second Sunday morning. There was somebody else had an appointment. So I said, I'm not going to go to visit that church if the person that's going to be speaking to me is not the pastor because I really can't see how the situation really is unless I go to the church where the pastor is. Left one choice, McClendon Primitive Baptist Church. Wow. We got up on uh, Sunday morning. I think we had to go get, we had to go buy y'all some clothes because we'd already used your Sunday clothes on Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon. And we, we got up uh, Sunday morning and we headed off to McClendon Church. And by the way, I was on our way out of town anyway, so it just, everything seemed to just be working out really well. Now, y'all know my experience when I came here because when y'all did David's anniversary thing, Jessica read you my experience. So I'm not going to go through that again. But perhaps uh, if, you, if you have trouble remembering it, Jessica makes copies of it and pass it out to you. Uh, or, or Brother David might tell you about it. I, no, probably not. Uh, 
But, you know, we left, and, 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 and I mentioned this, and I'm going to say it again. Uh, we got ready to leave. Brother David came out to the car and, uh, you know, said, said goodbye to us. And, and I, I went down, got on out, started to head up to 75. And just we got up to 75, and I turned right and I looked over at Susan. I said, you know what? She said, we've been home. Uh, I, I didn't have to wait to find out whether I was going to get that job. God gave me that job. Amen. And, uh, Amen. and when I was called two days later by the CEO to tell me that, I, I tried to act surprised. <laughs> but uh, didn't do too good job of that, I guess. You know, it, it just so happened that, uh, that Brother Herman's daughter went where Roger went to church. It just so happened that he knew it just so happened there was a minute there. It just so happened. It didn't just so happen. It came to pass. Uh, yeah. What God did to us at McClenny. He gave doors for fellowship and membership. Contact Brother Alec Hodges to a group of sacred harp singers. I know y'all think that's silly. That met in a singing house in Dane Connors pasture. And through that contact and fellowship, they desired and reached out to establish fellowship with churches in the Brunswick area, the Jacksonville area, McClenny, and eventually Flat Shoals. There were folks that were there that we sung with that night, the first time we went over there, that wouldn't have anything to do with Prep Davis in this area. But now, you, they occasionally come over, they, they spend more time with, with some of the Brunswick churches. Uh, a church hunt, if, if I hadn't been over there, hadn't gone over there, uh, hadn't had the, the desire to go over there, it, that never would happen. It's God. It was just God working in that. I got a church home for all three of my children. Church home for one of my granddaughters. Church home for two of my sons-in-law. Participation in the Constitution of West Jacksonville Printed Baptist Church wouldn't happen had I not been here. Had God not just opened the door. All I had simply asked him was for a place where we could worship in peace. Amen. That's all I'd ask for him. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Prove me now. Herewith saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Amen. I want to talk to you a little bit about my ministry. I want to remind you that Brother David said sometimes he'll say something and then he won't. When I was 12 years old, my pastor elder, Edward Cagle, asked me to offer public prayer one Sunday morning. That continued for a few months. And then he asked me after service one Sunday night if I would be willing to speak if he called on me to open services the next Sunday morning. I told him I'd be willing to speak if he called on me. He called me regularly to speak, and that continued until I moved my membership to Ozias. I continued to speak while I was at Ozias. I began to wonder if God had called me to preach the gospel and labored with that question for several years. In fact, when I married Susan, I told her I wasn't sure, but there might be a time when I realized that God called me to preach. She told me when that happened, she would leave me. Uh, and she did, 28 years later, 28 years after I, I was ordained. It took her that long, and actually... She, uh, she had an appointment with God. That's the reason she left me. Yeah. 
Elders Act Guest Council in 1973, always to be ready to give an answer to every man to ask you the reason for the hope that's within you. So that's what I felt like I was doing. And I think that was, I think that was appropriate and the right thing that he had told me to do. Uh, it comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Michael Goins wrote a book years later, uh, about 15 years later, I think, titled Be Ready to Answer. And I, you know, I felt like, yeah, that, that kind of goes along with, with what I'm, I'm doing here. We moved uh, back to Ebenezer where Marty Smith uh, was pastor. He questioned me on my feelings about whether or not I was called to preach. I said I didn't know if I ever preached. I might have clear indication because I didn't feel like I had. And uh, he said, well, in his experience, he felt like he had to preach, that uh, it was like fire shut his bones. I said, well, I can take it or leave it. Uh, you know, if they, ask me, if they ask me to speak, I'll speak. And if they don't ask me to speak, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. I'm okay with that. So he, I think he finally decided that probably I didn't have a call to preach the gospel. I also attended Beth, Bethesda Church where Elder Elsie Spear uh, was pastor, and he called on me to open services regularly, too. After Brother Marty left Ebenezer, the church asked me to fill an appointment for them. I was hesitant at first because I did not want the appearance to be that I felt like I was called to preach. And finally, I, I went ahead and relented and uh, did have that appointment there. When I told Brother Elsie Spear that I was moving to Florida after I had gotten the job down here, he accused me of running away to keep from Ebenezer from calling me pastor. You know how wonderful he was about stuff like that. Uh, I told him no. I was leaving because of the particular circumstances that had actually occurred there in 1980, early 1987, when we, when we started looking hard. And he knew exactly what those were. Uh, and, uh, and so he, after that, he left me alone about that. Not long after I arrived at McClinney, Paul Gregory, and this is by Paul's own admission, I'm, not, I'm going to name names on that, <laughs> told me that he wrote David Crawford a letter and told him that I had been opening services. And I'll be forever ungrateful to him for that letter. Uh, God rest his soul. Brother David began asking me to open services at McClinney. After a while, Brother David asked me if I'd be willing to, uh, for the church to set me at liberty. And I objected because I didn't feel called to preach. And I was afraid it would give people the wrong impression. He finally wore me down by promising me that he wasn't going to push me any further after this. One Sunday, he asked me uh, how I thought I did in the service that morning. I said, well, I thought I was going to choke on dust. I might feel like that today. I don't know. He laughed, and I said, uh, it's been that, uh, I, I said, it's been that way for about a month. He said, every minister has dry spells. And I said, uh, how long do they last? And he said, well, my current ones last about 25 years so far. <laughs> this is the kind of comfort Brother David would give you from time to time. Uh, after Brother David gave up NMS, the church asked me to start filling appointments. I talked with him about it. He assured me that they understood my feelings. In 1991, NMS called for my ordination, which indicated that they didn't understand my feelings. <laughs> David was uh, at their conference, stood up to speak, told them about the gentleman's agreement that we had, and proceeded to throw me under the bus <laughs> publicly. So when he tells you, you know, sometimes they'll tell you something and it might not come. Okay, that's it. Uh, I went home, told Susan, I'm not going back to the clinic. That's, that's how I felt about it. 
Uh, in the meantime, we had an annual meeting at Emmius, and uh, Elder Cromer Crawford and Elder H.D. Fulmer were there. I tried to convince them that Brother David was about to let Clinton commit a very grievous error. And I had told David that. Uh, I explained I could take or leave, speaking to God's people. I'd rather, I'd rather uh, hear preaching than to preach. And Brother Cromer said, I feel the same way. <laughs> that doesn't mean you're not a gospel minister. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, and I, I thought he was about to say it. It just means you're lazy, but he didn't say that. But I could see that kind of pass across his eyes there, you know. Uh, said I didn't feel like it was fire shut in my bones. Uh, when I told Brother Fulmer that, Brother Fulmer said, well, maybe not. But Paul said that he was set for the defense of the gospel. He said, I personally seen you stand in defense of the gospel in opposition to other ministers' positions. So I witnessed that. So I just gave up, uh, just fighting it, with the calm assurance that it wasn't my fault. God would show them their error yeah. soon enough. Yeah, that's right. I want to tell you, today it is like fire shut up in my bones. And I do desire to preach the gospel. Amen. And sometimes God blesses me to preach it. I'm not like Ricky Harcrow, who once said, uh, when God gives me liberty to preach, I'd just as soon hear myself as anybody else I know. I'm not, I'm not to that point yet, but, uh, <laughs> but, I, uh, but I do love to preach the gospel. But the point to get out of this is I told David he was moving too fast then, see, and he should have waited until I got to the point where I feel now. And he didn't do that, and so because of that, it hindered my growth in my gospel ministry for many years. <laughs> In July 2001, we were planning to move back to, uh, planning to move my mom to Jacksonville. And I began feeling that, uh, you know, there's something, something not quite right here. Uh, and uh, I, finally, I told mom, I said, let's just put the plans on hold because I've got this feeling that I'm going to be back up in Atlanta by July 2002. So let's just kind of wait and see, see what's going on. In fact, I thought, that I even knew which church God was probably calling me to up in that area. And I'm gonna tell you, when I left the Atlanta area, I was never planning on going back. And there's no way I would've gone back, ever, ever, if it had not been for God moving me back up there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the church that I thought I was being, kind of, because it made sense, because it's kind of near mom's house, and all, you know, all the things that make sense to you. Uh, which has nothing to do with what God's doing many times. I, I, uh, they called a pastor, and I said, okay, well, then that's, obviously that's not right. So, I, you know, doors closing there and everything like that, so this, this feeling's going to go away, but it didn't. And, you know, all, all through August, on into September, just kept, just kept feeling that. Except September, my father-in-law called me. He's deacon at uh, Platteshill Church, September, mid-September, called me and said, uh, Brother Mark Westbrook's giving up the church. And I said, really? Uh, and he said, yes. He said, uh, can you come up and, and uh, fill some appointments? And I said, well, yeah. I had been preaching in their annual meeting for years, uh, ever since Brother Elsie was a uh, pastor there. And, uh, and, and coming and going up occasionally uh, to, to visit with them. And I said, yes, I'll, I'll try, but I had, you know, I had several appointments, and I had a church I was serving here in, in Jacksonville. And uh, so we kind of worked out schedule through the end of the year, and he 
filled in with some others that he had and, and everything like that. Uh, December 28th, he called me and he asked if, if the church called me as pastor, uh, would, would, I, would I accept it? And I said, well, you know, give me, give me an evening. I already knew what the answer was because I knew this was the church. This was where I was supposed to be. Uh, and I said, give me, give me the evening, and I'll call you back tomorrow evening. And he said, okay. So I, I called him back. I told Susan, I said, he's calling. He's asked that. And she said, yeah. You know, and she knew it. Uh, and so I called him back. On December 3rd, the church called me as their pastor. We moved to Atlanta June 2002. Between December 30th and June 2002, I was there every Sunday I could go. Moved to Atlanta without a job. I want you to know the last day that I spoke here before I moved to Atlanta, there was another minister in this area, and he was full-time minister, another minister that was here. He was full-time minister, and uh, he had just left his church. And sitting out there, he told me, he said, uh, he said I've, I've got to find me another church. And I said, well, you know, it, you'll, you'll be able to do that. Lord calls you to preach. You're going, you're going to be able to do that. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, it's, it's, my, it's my living for my family. He said, I don't have a job. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm going up, I'm going up there to a church that can't support me at all, uh, and I don't have a job. Uh, and I thought about it a little bit, and I said, no, you're right. I don't understand. I just don't understand. Uh, but I did go up there without a job. Now, uh, he'll tell you, and he's, try, he's right, there was a safety net, and I knew there was a safety net there. Because they told me, and I, and I don't know why, because he was principal over at Baker County High School, but it was over in the, in the Baker County school system. They told me, look, you get up there and you can't find you a job, we know you haven't signed a contract. But when school starts on August 19th, if you don't have a job, show up down here. Okay? And you'll just, you can just commute back and forth over the way. I said, boy, that'd be great. I can 420 here in Atlanta. But you know, if, if, if you like to eat and you've made a habit of it, uh, it's a good thing to do. And I'm way over, uh, I'll, it, it won't take me but just a few minutes to finish up, I apologize. Uh, moved to Atlanta without a job. Previous officer of SunTrust in March, withdrawn in April, okay? Uh, because they went into a higher freeze, door closing. Applied for a job in Henry County School System. Interviewed, told that they'd hired somebody else, they promoted from within, said, we, we've got somebody over in Clayton County that will hire you. They've seen your resume. They'll hire you sight unseen. And there's no way I'm going to Clayton County to teach. Uh, Clayton, I'm not going there. Uh, so I closed that door. Uh, president of GBA, head of Georgia Department of Banking and Finance, Vice President of the Federal Reserve, calling officer, financial institution, SunTrust. Okay, all looking for me a job. One Sunday afternoon, I opened the AJC, found a job for a senior operations officer at McIntosh State Bank. I called all of those guys and I said, do you know anything about McIntosh State Bank? Of course, I pulled down the uniform bank performance report and looked at it before I called them. And they said, yeah, uh, you know, he sits on their board in the GBA. He's, uh, uh, I call on him, Financial Institution Sun Trust, uh, you know, and, and Georgia Department of Banking Finance, they, they all knew. I said, uh, well, did you know the job was open? No, we had no clue. We had no clue. God gave me that job. God gave me that job. I applied for it, and, and I knew that. Uh, God opened that door for me. Since I've been in the Atlanta area, here's what God's done. 
Uh, we have two members left out of the original six members that were at Flat Shells Church when I arrived. We now have 11 members and three drylanders. Uh, Y'all have drylanders here still? Okay, okay. Uh, there, there, to tell you the effectiveness of my preaching, there were two drylanders there when I got there. Now there are three, and two of them are the original two that were there. Um, can't get them in the water. I just, you know. It'd be easier if I was Methodist to just sprinkle them around. <laughs> God blessed me to be the primary caregiver for my mother, who died in 2009. If I had not been up there, I wouldn't have been able to do that. He said, well, you brought her down here. If I brought her in here, Susan, I mean, Jessica would take care of her. You know how Jessica is about stuff like that. Uh, she died in 2009, two months after Susan's sister Cindy died. Uh, it has nothing to do on ministry, but everything to do with what God called me to do. Uh, and he was preparing me to take care of Susan, too, as a result of that. As I mentioned to you in December, God blessed Susan to be the primary caregiver to her mother until she passed away in 2014. God blessed me to provide support, calm, stability to the CEO of our bank as we went through the process of being under a cease and desist order from the FDIC through bank closure by FDIC and winding up affairs with the holding company. He, he almost had a nervous breakdown. And he told me later, he said, if you, if you just not be there. In fact, the only, the only time that I'd ever missed going to the National Sacred Heart Convention since 1985 was the weekend that that bank closed. And I told him, I want to go Thursday night. Just let me go out there Thursday night, and I'll go to the singing Friday morning in Birmingham. I will be back. I will be back Friday afternoon before the bank closes. He said, I don't want you leaving town. Uh, he, he just wanted me to be, be that close around. And as it turned out, it, was, it, it worked well because we actually sold a subsidiary, transacted that, that day on Friday, and he wanted me to be there for that uh, transaction so I could kind of help him through that. God blessed me to help a friend transition the family company to his son. He passed away in December 2018, and I'm still working for that company and plan to continue there until I'm 70 if the Lord allows. God blessed me to be the primary caregiver of Susan. Again, if we'd been down here, do you think I'd have been the primary caregiver of Susan? You know? No. None of these things would have occurred if we stayed in Florida. Uh, I thought God was simply calling me to pastor Flat Shoals. But he had all those things in mind too. He was just there opening doors. There's so many things I could tell you. It's already five minutes after 12, and most of you are still awake. Uh, God is in the business of opening and closing doors. Yeah. And that's important because I have a knack for choosing the wrong one. Uh, if, if, if I'm given two choices, I will always pick the wrong one. But because he locks the door, I won't open it. Yeah. I remember old ministers saying, Lord, choose our changes for us. And when I was young, I didn't understand what they were saying. But it is my prayer now. I've been blessed to do everything I desired to do in my life. And some things I didn't desire to do and would not have chosen. But God opened those doors and closed all the other doors. I suspect that if you look back through your life, you'll see the same thing. Uh, some 
you'll see where doors are closed. And it wasn't bad luck, and it wasn't bad timing. It was God guiding you. And you'll see where doors are open, and it wasn't good luck, and it wasn't good timing. It was God guiding you. In Ephesians chapter 20, Paul says now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. God is worthy to be praised. I accidentally hugged him. Sorry. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Forgot where I was. Uh, the worst thing, let me say this. They, the folks that made it through the death camps in Germany in World War II, the folks that made it through Buchenwald and Dachau, the prison camps that lived while others just faded away. Understandably, it was horrible, nightmares, ghoulish. But their research has shown it over and over again. There have been multiple, multiple studies about this. There was a common thread that ran through the lives of the people who made it in the face of horrible, horrible issues. The folks that didn't give up always believed, they believed this, that there was purpose even in the midst of their miserable circumstances. They believed that there was purpose. There was a greater design. They had a lot of ways to describe it. They believed exactly what Brother Jesse taught us this morning. God has a plan. And if I didn't believe that, I'd stay in the bed and wait for the world to come into chaos. Thankful for that sweet, real-time example of hymn number 384. We're going to sing this. We're not going to have a handshake this morning. We will publish the open door of the church, of course, but we're not going to have a handshake. You come up here and you join the church. I will hug your neck.